turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 6 this morning as we are just beginning this new series in the book of Ephesians. I'd like to read this for us as we begin. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's pray. Father, today you know we're beginning a very rich passage of Scripture, one that speaks of the work that you did in eternity past before the worlds were made. When you in your mind conceived all that you were going to do through Christ, through Israel, through the church, and into the future, eternity to come. And God, you are still at work carrying out your purposes and plans in the world, and we are part of that. And so, Father, would you help us to hear and understand both the wonder and amazement of your salvation as well as the joy we have to participate in the work that you are doing today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite drives in the country is the highway that runs through Big Thompson Canyon in Colorado. Uh, it starts out in Loveland and it makes its way up on that drive all the way up to Estes Park as you head toward Rocky Mountain National Park. And if you have ever gone on that road, you know what I mean. You uh, leave Loveland and you're heading toward the Rockies and you go through the front range and the place where you enter into the Rockies is the narrowest part of the canyon, of Big Thompson Canyon. And when you get there, you know, it's just the road, the river, and then you've got these rock walls that go on each side of the canyon straight up about 1,000 feet or more. And you just, you feel so small and kind of making your way in, and then you're winding around on this road that follows the river, and it climbs 2,500 feet. And then you come out on this broad kind of alpine plain as you hit the area where Estes Park is, and all around you can look, and there are these snow-capped mountains. There's Long's Peak, and there's Hallett's Peak, and there's the mummy range that really does look like a sleeping mummy lying on its back, and you can see Flat Top Mountain, and you can see all of these other different peaks that are around you as you look at the Rocky Mountains and all of their spectacular glory. Well, today, that's really what we're going to be doing as we move through this particular text. If Ephesians is the Switzerland of the New Testament, then we are going into the Alps today. And the view is extraordinary. Paul often begins his letters with a prayer for the people that he is writing to. But in Ephesians, it is exceptional. I mean, he starts this prayer in verse 3, and he can't stop. He goes on until verse 14 is all one long sentence in Greek. It just keeps going and going and going as he builds upon the things that God has done for us. So we're just going to take one small section today. We're just going to look at verses 3 to 6. 
But it's like Paul is taking us on a tour of the mountains. And as we're going along, he's saying things like, look, there's Mount Election, and there's Mount Adoption, and there's Mount Forgiveness, and there's Mount Wisdom or Mount Unity in Christ. And he wants us to see these things, and he whets our appetite, and you have a sense where it's like, you know, don't you just want to stay here a while? Don't you just want to climb those mountains and explore their beauty and understand what God has for us? Aren't they beautiful? That's what Paul is saying to us. And as he begins this prayer, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be is literally blessed be. It's the way that Hebrew prayers would begin when they were giving a blessing to God. And three times in in this phrase as he begins, he uses that word blessed. Blessed be the God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I don't know any other way to say it. He's, He's pointing out to us, but God has so richly blessed us. And when he says it is in the heavenly realms, it doesn't mean that it's just something in heaven that's waiting for us. The heavenly realms are really that spiritual realm in which we already participate. I mean, if we have come to place our faith in Jesus, we've been born again, his Holy Spirit indwells us, Christ is in us, we already have a taste of what that's going to be like. And so he is saying that God has given us all of these blessings that are ours already in the heavenly realms, and they all come through Jesus Christ. The place where Paul begins his praise is with God's sovereign choice it is the doctrine of election and he tells us in this passage that before the worlds were made god chose a people who would be his children for all of eternity now that's that's staggering for us that that just goes beyond what we can think about hardly you know it's like god how could you do that but he is saying Before this earth was made, before you and I were born, before anyone was born, in the mind of God, he planned that he would call out a people for himself who would enjoy the riches of his glory for all of eternity. We see that in verse 4 when he says, For he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. The doctrine of election is meant to be a source of great comfort and assurance. We are saved not by our own efforts, but by his grace. In fact, apart from the work of God in our life, none of us would ever come to know him. We would all turn the other way because of our sin. Some object to the doctrine of election because to them it doesn't seem fair or just. I mean, if God has chosen some for salvation, doesn't that mean that he's also chosen others for condemnation? But the Bible never speaks of election in that way. Election is always to salvation. Election is always something that God has done where he has called out a people for himself, just like he chose Israel in the Old Testament to be a witness to the world. So he is calling out individuals to be part of his church today to be a witness to the world. And the Bible emphasizes both God's 
choice, God's sovereignty and election, and man's responsibility, man's freedom to choose. And we are accountable for those decisions. But how do election and man's free will fit together? I mean, that's something that theologians have been wrestling with for at least 2,000 years. How do you put those two seemingly irreconcilable truths of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and free will together? There's a tension there, and there's no doubt about that. It is called an antimony. An antimony contains two apparently mutually exclusive truths which must be held simultaneously. Again, that can be difficult for us to do. But God is calling us to trust him on this, to trust him that those two things are true. The Bible teaches both. God is sovereign. People are not robots. People have choices and decisions, and they are free to make those decisions, and we need to hold on to both. We need to hold on to the sovereignty of God and rejoice in that. And we also need to recognize that we are totally responsible for the decisions that we make as individuals. Today, what I'd like us to do, though, is we look at this doctrine of election and the things that flow from that, is to let the wonder of God's grace just overwhelm you. To think that before the worlds were made, God chose a people who would be his for eternity is a pretty awesome thought. But why did he do it? Well, let's take a look at what Paul says here. Number one, God chose us to be holy. He chose us to be a witness to the world around us that we would become like our Father in heaven. That's what verse 4 says, that he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, holiness has two sides to it, as Paul is using it here. On the one side, there is a holiness that we have already because of what Christ has done for us. Our sins are forgiven. We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see our sin he sees the blood of Jesus Christ that has covered our sin. So when he looks at me, he doesn't see Rick Stanghill, he's sinner. He sees me as he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And that is just awesome. I don't know any other way to say that. It is because we are in Christ that we have been clothed with his righteousness. And God accepts us fully on the basis of his son and what he has done for us. But there is also a holiness that we are to live out in this life. We are to be blameless. We are to be free from sin. We are to become more and more like Jesus in our thoughts, our actions, our deeds. We are to uh, turn away from sin when we see it in our life. And we're to choose to follow him. That's the purpose of election. Election leads to sanctification to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So who are the elect? Sometimes that's a question that's asked. You know, who are the elect? Well, the elect really are those who desire to be right with God. They want to follow him. They want to please God and know him. That's why the telltale evidence of one's election is holiness. 
Harold Ockengay, who was the pastor of Park Street Church for many years, was also a founder of Fuller Seminary and Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he put it in no uncertain terms. He said, if God has elected us, he has not elected us to remain sinners, but to become holy. It is an anomaly or an error to speak of the elect living in sin. God never chose us to continue in sin. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has ordained in advance for us to do. Therefore, the test of our election is the holiness of our lives. Whoever is born of God does not practice sin. And in 1 John 3, 3, John said that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If we've been born again, if we've come into a relationship with him, then our heart's desire is to want to please him and become more like him. If you have no desire to follow Jesus in obedience, if you are living a life of conscious, willful sin, you very likely are not a Christian. It's as simple as that. God has chosen us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And for everyone who's come into a relationship with him, that should be the desire of our heart. Secondly, God chose us to be his children, and we see that in verse 5, that he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In love... He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. One writer described election and predestination in this way. He said, election is God's deciding who gets on the plane bound for heaven. Predestination is his charting the route the plane will take, the schedule, the accommodations, both during and after the flight, and each passenger's safety. With God as the pilot of the plane and the plane itself, all who board the plane make it to heaven. Predestination means God himself makes sure the elect actually board the plane. Their response of faith in Christ is like checking in at the gate with a boarding pass. The gospel call is the invitation to come, but like many invitations, there are many people who treat God's offer of salvation like junk mail and they throw it in the trash. However, those whom God has elected to salvation, he also moves to accept his free offer. Many are called, few are chosen. Yet all who are chosen are predestined to end up in heaven. And God's choosing is not done impersonally or arbitrarily, Paul says. It is in love that he adopted us to be part of his family. And he did it through Jesus Christ, and he did it in accordance with his good pleasure and his perfect will. Because of that, we belong to Christ, and we have become part of a new family. This is the doctrine of adoption. It's the truth that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we become part of a new family, the family of God. And some of you understand very clearly what adoption is like because either you have adopted a child into your family or you were adopted as a child. I think of a 
young couple. They were working with a youth ministry in Nebraska. And they were working with high school students. And John and Lori one day met a girl named Amanda. And Amanda had come from a very abusive home and family situation. And they took her into their home. And they began to treat her like their daughter. They wanted to help her. And, and uh, to, they wanted her to continue to come to their church and their youth group. They wanted her to have a safe place where she could stay, where she would be protected. And they loved her as they would a daughter. And the day came when they were talking with their two sons, and they decided as a family that they were going to make the decision to legally adopt her. And they did that when she was a teenager. She's now 22, and her name is now, you know, Amanda, and she's taken the last name of the family. Uh, she has gotten a new birth certificate. John and Lori are her legal parents. Amanda has two new brothers, and she no longer has any legal claim upon her birth parents, and they no longer have any legal claim upon her. They disowned her. The process was relatively simple. But once it was done, John and Lori were asked if there was any change that they felt when they officially went through that adoption procedure. And they said there really was. They had thought of Amanda as their daughter for a long time, but when it became official, it was like bringing home a baby from the hospital for the very first time. And for Amanda, there was a change. I mean, she loved them. She appreciated the care and the protection that they had given to her. But when they took that step to officially, legally adopt her, she felt like they were mom and dad. That by God's grace, he had brought her into a new family and there was a significant change for her. And the biggest thing was she felt like she now belonged. Here was the place where she belonged. When God adopted us into his family, that's the biggest change that we experience too. We are welcomed by grace into the family of God, and we belong. And as believers in Christ, that's why Paul is going to stress so much the church in this letter. It is in the church that we experience those loving relationships. It's in the church that we find that fellowship and friendship in the family of God, that's what he intends for us. We have to work at it. You know, just like in your family, there may be times when you disagree or you may even quarrel or fight or things like that. And you got to work things through because you're related to one another. In the family of God, God wants us to work things through and love one another and care for each other and give our life for each other because we belong to him. And we become part of the family of God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, Paul said this. He said, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba, you recall, means Daddy. It's the word that Jesus used when he taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. To be able to call upon God as our daddy, that term of endearment is just stunning. I mean, nobody spoke like that before Jesus. Nobody talked about having that kind of intimate relationship with the Father that he had that now we could have. 
And he says, not only that, but then the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You ask me how I know I'm a believer, I can tell you it's because of that internal witness in my heart that Jesus says you are a child of God. That's the witness that all of us as believers experience when we sense the Holy Spirit working in our life. And he tells us even more that if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that he owns and possesses, we own. And we share in that because of what he has done for us. At the time that Paul wrote this letter under Roman law, an adopted son enjoyed the same privileges as the son by birth so too with God. Jesus Christ is God's son by nature. We are his children by grace. It's not anything that we deserved or merited. It was because God freely chose to call out a people for himself that we have been brought into his family, and that's grace. Thirdly, God chose us to bring him glory. And we see that in verse 6. He did all of this to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The Westminster Confession states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we were created, to bring him glory and to enjoy him and enjoy the privileges and the wonders of eternity that is to come. It's going to take all of those ages, the book of Ephesians is going to tell us, to experience the wonders of his grace. It's going to go on and on and on for all of eternity because God is an infinite God and the riches that he has for us are also infinite. And today, here and now, we are to begin to praise him and to rejoice in him and understand what he has for us. We were created to have fellowship with him, the God who made the universe. And when we understand all that he has done for us in Christ, we want to praise him. How can we not sing about his glory? How can we not sing about his grace and want to tell others about him? We see it again in verses 11 and 12 when Paul will say a little farther down in this chapter that in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. All of the blessings that God has given us are in Christ. And again, they are not because we deserve them. And it's not because we were better than anyone else. It was because of his love and his grace. And all over the world, God is calling out a people from every tribe and nation and language group to be part of his family. And he did it all because of his pleasure. He did it all because it brings him great joy. How do we respond to such a God? What is it that we should do? Love him and praise him in return. 
There was an interesting story a number of years ago in the Washington Post that began with these words. The king folds her own laundry, chauffeurs herself around Washington in a 1992 Honda, and answers her own phone, and her boss's phone too. What was that about? That was pretty intriguing. A king who would fold her own laundry, drive herself around in an old Honda, and answer her own phone? Well, the article was about a woman named Peggy Leaney Bartels. She's the secretary to the Ghanaian ambassador in Washington, and she's been in that position for 30 years. She was originally from Otuam, Ghana, a small city of about 7,000, and her story's rather interesting. When the 90-year-old king of Otuam, Ghana, died, the elders did what they had done for generations. They have a ritual that they use to determine the next king. They pray, and then they poured out schnapps on the ground while they read the names of the king's 25 relatives. When steam began to rise from the schnapps on the ground, whatever name they are reading at that time is the name of the new king. That's exactly what happened when they read Pegalini's name. So now she is a king. Yes, a king, not a queen. She pointed out to the elders that she is a woman, and they said, it's the office of a king that is the post that's open. So you are now the new king. When she goes back to Ghana, she has a driver, she has a chef, she has an eight-bedroom palace, though it needs some repairs, and she has power to resolve disputes, appoint elders, manages more than a 1,000 acres of a family-owned farm. I'm a big-time king, she said. She told the reporter that when she returned for her coronation, they carried her through the streets on a litter, and she even wore a heavy gold crown, freely chosen, undeserved. Paul Schwartzman, the reporter, said this, In the humdrum of ordinary life, people periodically yearn for something unexpected, some kind of gilded escape delivered perhaps by an unanticipated inheritance or a winning lottery ticket. Pegalini got the unexpected. I mean, don't you think about that sometimes where you go, you know, well, what if, you know, you had this amount of money that you inherited? Or what if some unexpected blessing came and you were given this or that that you could freely use and freely share with others? Well, that's exactly what God has done for us by his grace. And we are rich beyond belief that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is so amazing that it's hard for us to even get our mind around it. We can't comprehend it all. We get taste of it in this life of the forgiveness of sins, the fellowship with believers, the joy and worship, the pleasure we feel in our heart when we do God's will and we are walking with him, the answers to prayer that we've seen. We get all these small tastes, but there is so much more that God has prepared for us. We are rich, and we have been blessed more than we realized. Peter said this about us in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said that, in a sense, just like that woman, Peggy Leaney, you are a chosen people, and you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Chosen, royalty, a people who belong to God, 
a people who have been brought out of this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and there is glory there. How do you respond to something like that? How do you respond to a message like this? Well, we need to remember that we are called to be holy, to be like our Father, and to live in a way that pleases Him. We are called to be His children, and that should give us great assurance that we belong to a new family. We have been adopted. We are accepted by God as one of His own. But more than anything else, we are called to worship to love him with all our heart and to give him praise for what he has done for us, to sing of his glory and help others to know him too. Let's pray. Father, my heart is just filled to overflowing this morning. It started with the songs that we sang at the beginning of the service, and it's just been feeding upon the richness of your scripture today. And I just, I can't even do it justice to put it into words how awesome the things are that you have prepared for us. But I know I'm sure looking forward to seeing that one day. And I know that all of us are who know you. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you don't know him, but God's been tugging at your heart today and you want to know him and you want to know that your sins are forgiven, would you just turn to him and say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, would you be my Savior and welcome me into your family? And he will do that. In his name we pray, amen.